Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. Remember, each new episode of Morning Tide drops the morning after San Jose Sharks playoff games. And, of course, we are reflecting on the 4-3 loss to the Avs last night. This was a game to me where, for the first time, the Sharks missed Joe Pavelski. And I know that seems like a very obvious take because when your captain's not out there, it's going to have an impact. But really, in Game 7 against Vegas, Pavelski going down was the catalyst for that comeback. And in Game Number 1 against the Avs, you had the Sharks able to kind of galvanize themselves off a jumbo in his third line, and they dominated once they went down 2-1 in the second period. They scored three consecutive goals, went up 4-2, and go up by a final of 5-2 to take Game 1. Coming into Game 2 last night, you expect more of the same, and I think that the lack of Pavelski really showed itself in the first period when the Sharks had plenty of good looks, when they had plenty of opportunities to build upon that one nothing lead after Evander Kane scored the early goal. And that, to me, was when you felt the lack of a Pavelski up front because he's always so good on the tip play. He's another guy to worry about. He's clutch in big games like this. And you have this moment where the Sharks are trying to put goals away and trying to get up and build upon that one nothing lead. And simply put, they were unable to do so. And again, this was the game to me where you feel the absence of Joe Pavelski. And then, of course, you combine that with a game like Grubauer through most of this one until late, where he was absolutely fantastic, making huge stops, making huge saves, keeping the Sharks off the board and keeping them just with that one goal until you get late into the third period when the Sharks respond but it was too little too late at that point and again you combine Grubauer having a night where he's going to go out there and win it for his team again combined that with the fact that Pavelski is not there for the Sharks and it's a recipe for a loss which is what exactly what you saw tonight and again this is the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's never going to be easy. I think there was this feeling after game one where the Sharks get that 5-2 win and the third line dominates and Jumbo's got the goal and LeBanc has an unbelievable goal and everybody's feeling good after that. You have to remember, it's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's going to be hard and even then it's probably going to be harder than you expected to. So for the San Jose Sharks to be level at one game with the Avs after two games on home ice, really not that unexpected, honestly, especially considering the fact that the Avs did have more rest coming into this series. And I know that the guys weren't really going to acknowledge that much of a fatigue factor after the game. I know that Logan Couture said that 
the team looked tired at, at times, even though he didn't feel fatigued. I think Evander Kane kind of shut it down. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, these guys, they take it very seriously. I don't think they're going to acknowledge being tired. I don't think they're going to give up that mental edge to the abs and let them in on anything. But there were times where the Sharks looked tired last night. There were times where the Sharks didn't look like they had the push. The second period particularly. You go out of the first period, you're up one nothing, and then you find yourselves unable to match the intensity that the Avs had in the second period. They didn't match the pressure specifically on defense. And you look at the goal that, you know, made it a 3-1 game eventually in the third period, and that was the one that was an errant clearance that set right up for uh, the Avs to give it a uh, you know two goal cushion at that point, it negates the fact that you got a big game from Brent Burns and you got a you know a nice performance from Kane and Jones. I'd have thought deserved more support throughout the course of the game, but again, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's not going to be anything easy about this, and it's probably going to be harder than you expected. And when you talk about the overall difficulty, this is one of those games where it was the little things having an impact. And you talk about the officiating, and I know there's a lot of debate right now on the second goal that put the Avs up 2-1, whether or not that was an icing call. Uh, none of the Sharks uh, were really willing to comment on it because they can't in the post game. but I thought that, you know, that's just the way it's going to go in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that's just the way it's going to go. You can't expect that call to get made every single time. You have to talk about you know, when they get to the hash marks, who's got the better look at the puck, and they weren't going to make that call, and so it opens the door, and you give up the goal there, and you find yourself at a deficit. Another one we've been talking about is the lack of a tripping call on Carlson when he had a breakaway. Again, it could have been and it might not have been and then late in the game the Sharks have to go on the penalty kill when they just had picked up a little bit of support after Timo came in and got a tripping penalty you know these are the little things throughout the course of a game that are going to put you sometimes on an advantage and sometimes it's going to happen to your detriment but the San Jose Sharks again they were good for 20 minutes in the first period, and then they were inconsistent over the course of the rest of the game. And again, we look back to the fact that the Avs had more rest coming into this series. The Sharks were coming off an unbelievable seven-game, emotionally you know, draining series against Vegas. That was going to play a factor. Now, surprisingly so, it didn't play a factor in game number one. It came more to rear its head in game number two. So we're going to see now the Sharks, they'll get a little bit more rest. You're going to have teams that are going to be tired after two games in San Jose. You go back to Colorado. What are you going to see out of both of these teams? Are the Sharks going to be able to respond with a full 60 minutes? Are the Avs going to be able to take advantage of the series shifting back uh, to them at having the home ice advantage? Again, I was not going to be surprised if the Sharks were up 2 after these first two games. I was not going to be surprised if it was 1-1. The only thing that was going to surprise me is if the Sharks were down 0-2. My initial surprise is I thought the Sharks were going to lose game 1 after game 7. That's just the way that you look at things. The emotional expenditure of a game like game 7, that's going to come back to bite you. And it didn't for the Sharks. They were able to win game one. So I was kind of expecting it to be 1-1 after two games in San Jose. They were able to get the win in game one, unable to get it done in game two. But I think ultimately when the Sharks look back at this one, there's going to be a feeling of frustration because they had their opportunities. They were not able to put it in the back of the net. They had good looks. And again, we're unable to finish. And for Colorado, I don't know that they have a blueprint specifically, but I think that they saw that they can use their speed to maybe tire out the Sharks a little bit after seven games and put that pressure on and particularly see how the defense responds in the middle third of the game and that period that obviously has such a deciding factor in so many games. I mean, 
I know that the fatigue factor is going to level out over the course of this series, but right now the Avs might be thinking to themselves that they have a little bit more in the tank going into Game 3, and again, they're going to be on home ice. And if the Sharks have to figure out a way to absorb that, if that means sitting back a little bit more on defense, if that means just kind of holding your defenseman back, that also negates some of the things that the Sharks do so well with having some of the best uh, defensemen in the entirety of uh, not just the NHL, but the world, obviously. I mean, you have world-class defensemen across the board on this team. It's one of the strengths. You look at the top three in Vlasic and Burns and Carlson, and that's such a huge strength of this team. If you have to make them sit back a little bit, that swings things entirely in favor of what the Avs are trying to do. And yeah, you might be able to negate a little bit of the speed of the Avs if you keep guys back and you commit. But at the same time, if you, it would also take a big bite out of the Sharks' offense at the same way. So again, this is a series. It's going to go back and forth. It's going to be uh, you know, difficult from one game to the next, and each game is going to have its own narrative. The one narrative tonight was that the Avs were able to apply pressure in the second period, in particularly that the Sharks were not able to match, and that gave them the advantage heading into the third period where you had a little bit of a push from the Sharks' lake, but ultimately too little too late again. But if you're looking for positives out of this one, this was not some dismantling at the hands of the Avs. This was not the Sharks getting outclassed on the ice. It was a game of missed opportunities. It was a game where Grubauer was simply you know, not going to let in too many goals on this night. The Sharks couldn't put it past him. They're without Pavelski, and you do feel that, and they got beat for for one period, they were the better team on the ice. For the second two periods, they were not the better team on the ice. And so now the Sharks have to respond, heading back onto the road as they take on the Avs in Colorado. Other positives to take out of this one, I think that Martin Jones is seeing the puck a lot better. And I don't know if this started in game six or whether or not it's a carryover effect of that. And, you know, I think you have to kind of take game seven off the books because that was just such a strange one-off game. But, you know, Martin Jones was good again tonight. And one of the goals that got passed was, you know, an empty netter. And you look at the other three, and I didn't think any of them were particularly terrible or anything that we were seeing from Jones late in the year where he wasn't playing with great confidence. I think that Jones had a good look about him tonight, and I think that he was seeing things well. And I think that he responded and was able to make some big stops. And when the Sharks weren't finding the back of the net, there were a couple of shots that could have gotten past him, and the Sharks could have been at a greater deficit, but he kept them in the game. Um, and that's something that you want to see from Jones because you don't need him to be what he was in game six every single night. And even as good as he was in game number one, I thought that he was pretty much on board with that in game number two here tonight. Obviously, one more got past him, but it was still a game that Martin Jones was giving the Sharks every opportunity to be in. And when it was just a you know a 2-1 game or a 3-1 game, I thought that he had deserved more support from the Sharks on a night where he'd given them a chance. So at that point, I'm thinking, all right, get it to overtime, see what you can do. Obviously, the Sharks make the decision to pull him, and they give up an empty netter. They're at a greater deficit. They get the goal with 10 seconds remaining. It's 4-3. It's just, again, it's too much to overcome late. But again, you see continuing positive performances building from Jones. That's the things that's going to pay off in terms of dividends as this postseason continues. Because, listen, we're two games into a best-of-seven series. There could be five games less than this. You need Martin Jones to play like he played tonight and in Game 1 for the remainder of this series and for the remainder of the postseason. He has not looked like the guy that he was midway through the series against Vegas when they were scoring in the first 10 minutes, or excuse me, first minute of each period. This is a Martin Jones that's changed from that point and now looks like a guy who is playing with greater confidence, greater vision, and simply more aggressive when he's absorbing the rush and taking on shots. You can see it in his posture. You can see it in the way he's blocking. You can see it the way he's making saves. Overall, he's bigger 
in the crease due to his confidence than he was halfway through that series against Vegas. All right, and we now have joining us on Morning Tide the one and only Brody Brazil. Of course, you know him for his work on pre- and post-game coverage for the San Jose Sharks as well as the Oakland Athletics on NBC Sports California. Brody, what's going on, man? I think I joined you after round one, game two. Correct. That was a loss. Correct. Tonight's game was a loss. Correct. So what we're saying here is it's going to turn out just fine because we're superstitious like that. Well, my other take (laughs) on that, because I had a feeling you were going to bring that up is the fact that while we are talking again after losses, right. the important thing is that we are talking about another loss in the next round of playoffs. So if we do this after a Western Conference Game 2, a Western Conference Final Game right. 2, and then a Stanley Cup Final Game 2, I'm really not going to be that unhappy. It's not working in the near future. Mm-hmm. It's working in the long term. That's that's why I decided to come back. That, yes. Well, you know, it's paying <laughs> off thus far. So we're we'll just see gonna where it goes. On, we're going to keep on hitting this narrative. I'd like to think that we can kill this joke. And if we keep on killing it by the time it's the Stanley Cup Final, exactly. that, you know, that's, that's the important thing here. Um, so... What's your big takeaway here tonight? I know fatigue was something discussed. I know that calls from the referee, a lack of a, of a tripping against Carlson on a breakaway or the icing right. on the second goal. Right. Um, injuries piling up for the Sharks. Where is your brain going to from a 30,000-foot view after this Game 2 series now level one game apiece? It's a loss. It was not a disastrous loss. Mm-hmm. I think you saw in the first 20 minutes a Sharks team that could have been up 3 nothing. Um, Grubauer kept him in it. Uh, the Sharks maybe just didn't capitalize enough. So it's not like you saw a total train wreck from the Sharks. And yeah, a couple late goals, an empty netter and one with 10 seconds left. It kind of clouds the, the perspective of things, but it really was probably a one-goal win deserved by the Avs. Um, I think you also have to look at it and understand that the Sharks were, to your point, just on a four-game playoff win streak. Setbacks are going to happen like mm-hmm. this. Um as Devin Setaguchi said on our post-game show, you know, it's not what you want, but sometimes you need a little slap in the face to kind of re-energize you and get you back on track. So disappointment level, yeah, not not super high. I mean, of course, 2 nothing going into Denver would have been awesome. And I think teams win 84% of the time the series when they're up 2 nothing to start. But uh, look, I... I I think you have to take it into perspective. This is not going to be easy, although everybody was super convinced after game one (laughs) that this series might be a sweep. Let's be real. Um, It's the parody of the NHL. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, too, and I talked about that in my first segment here. Just the, It's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. In fact, it's going to be hard. Harder than you likely want to give it credit for because I think you you alluded to people said, oh, here we go, the Sharks, they were able to take command with their third line it was jumbo it was LeBanc to me I honestly expected them to lose game one because after you have an emotional high totally like yep. game seven I expected them to drop game one so to me the fact that it's 1-1 after two games in San Jose not that far off of the narrative that I expected just reversed in order yeah and I think you know you have to start expecting the unexpected in these <laughs> in these Stanley Cup playoffs. Look at the teams that are left. Look at how the Sharks are even here um, on a on a on a series by series basis, even in a game to game basis. Who would have thought after 20 minutes tonight that the Avs would come out and get the next two goals in the second period, totally change the dynamic of the game. You know, I was thinking while you were talking there, the points you made earlier, questionable calls. You know, was, was it really icing on that? Was their second goal when mm-hmm. Vlasic and Rantanen were chasing it down? 
Uh, Vlasic certainly, he said as much. He feels like an, an apology is owed to him and the team. Um, I'll, I will speak to the Carlson getting tripped on the power play. That was definitely tripping to me. And it's unfortunate because not only does he not get a good scoring look there, the Sharks don't get the five-on-three time that they would have had. I also, though, want to take it back even a step further and say that this is the playoffs and you're not going to get all the calls. We saw last series. Early on, the Sharks did not benefit. Later on, they did benefit from what the officials thought. So, um, Or even, even tonight, um, the Nieto goal, when Matt Calvert was out front jamming it twice, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are saying immediately, well, goalie interference just because of where he was. If you go back and look, Calvert didn't really tie Jones up with the body, the skates, or the sticks. So, I mean, look, at some point you have to say, you're going to give some, you're going to get some, and such was the case tonight. Again, we're talking to Brody Brazil here on Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. New episodes drop the morning after each San Jose Sharks playoff game. I'm going to make a very obvious take, but I feel that I it thought needs that was my be. job. I thought I was <laughs> Captain Obvious. Over no, here. this is you're on my turf now, buddy. Uh, but this is an obvious take that I feel needs to be discussed and maybe isn't getting as much run as it could have because it is so obvious. To me, the reason the Sharks aren't up. 2-0, 3-0 after that first period is the lack of Joe Pavelski. I think that one rear it, really reared its head in tonight's game because you're looking at him in the trenches may have been able to change the dynamic of this game and it's the first time you've missed him because he was the galvanizing point of game seven. For some strange, bastardized hockey world, Joe Pavelski not being on the ice in Game 7 for the final 10 minutes didn't matter. I don't know what universe that exists in. It's a storybook ending. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Game 1, Jumbo, Big Joe, says, okay, I'm going to take care of business here. My line is going to be the separating factor. You don't miss Pavelski in Game 1. Game 2... There were multiple times, especially you think about how good he is at tips in front of the net. Yep. I felt the Sharks missed Pavelski, and if you have him out there in the first period, you might be looking at an entirely different dynamic, maybe up 2 nothing, maybe up 3 nothing. not just because of him scoring, but just because of the way he changes how a defense might set up, how a goalie might feel. You felt his absence tonight. So, I mean, look how Vander Kane scored. That was a Pavelski-ish goal. Burns with the point shot, number nine out front. I mean, that's what number eight would do if he were in this game. Uh, I can tell you, Joe Pavelski was in the building tonight at SAP Center. So if you're looking for good news, and obviously you you would have rather have him (laughs) skating for the team uh, healthy enough to play, that's, that's not the case yet. Um, But it is a good sign that he's here supporting the guys to your, to your point. Yeah. You're, you're going to miss him in this series however long he's out um it is frustrating the trade-off I, I would say if i could go back to what 10 10 plus minutes in that game seven if if i came to you ted and i said hey i'll make you a trade i'm gonna take joe pavelski out for the rest of this game and you know some of the next round but you guys are gonna beat the golden knights in advance a lot of sharks fans would be like it's like selling your your oldest child right like i don't want to do it but I got to make this deal with the devil. Um, so it is an unfortunate trade-off. Um, and I feel like even with, with the Avs, you know, I didn't feel like the Golden Knights were beat up that, that much physically in their series. Weren't missing a lot of key players mm-hmm. at key times. I do feel like the Sharks have, have had that issue. Um, and it continues here into round two. So no doubt they miss him. But I think what's, what's crazy is like this is a Sharks team that played without Eric Carlson for a third of the season. They, right. they missed um, Mark Edward Vlasic for a huge chunk of games. Uh, they missed Joe Thornton for a while at the very beginning. So this is, I hate to say, but it's one of their strong points is that they're, 
They are less of a team without their leading goal scorer, no doubt, but they always find ways to compensate. They are deep enough to, to still get by offensively. And one of the reasons that that depth shown tonight is that for most of the game, Martin Jones kept him in it. Oh, totally. And I think that when you're looking at a 2-1 game that eventually turned into a 3-1 game, empty netter changes the dynamic after the Sharks have been able to get one back on the board. But Martin Jones, since game six, has been really, really good, and he's seen the puck better. And I know that the quick comeback would be, well, Ted, what about game seven? Game seven, I, that was weird in multiple levels. I can't really <laughs> reference that game as any sort of normative, you know, kind of a qualifying measure of a game. But Jones in game one was really good, and I thought that he was really good again tonight in game two. I think he's seen things well. I didn't have a problem with any of the goals no. that got in. Yeah. Um, that, to me, is going to be a huge factor going forward because he's playing bigger. We saw it in game six. He was more aggressive in the crease. You could see the fact that he played behind Jonathan Quick for a couple of years there, kind of showing in his game, and he's bigger physically in his presence in the crease here tonight and what we saw in game number one. Um, what's your view on Jones and maybe how things have changed for him going to game six and now seeing where he is now? All right, so let's even look at tonight's final score, 4-3. Subtract one for the empty netter, 3-3. Mm-hmm. And take away any of the other goals. I mean, I think uh, the Landeskog tip, that's a hard one to stop. Uh, Barry's goal, the second one for the Avs, that was a good one for them. And the Nieto jam play out front – for whatever reason, if you just take away one of those other goals, that's the two mark that we talk about so frequently. Two or fewer, the yep. Sharks are undefeated 36-0 and this season. So again, the math is a little bit misleading when you see a 4-3 final. I thought Jones played an exceptional game. To your point, I have the stats in front of me right here. It does not, it does not include tonight, but Jones in games two through four of the Las Vegas series had a 796 save percentage <laughs> and a 762 goals against average. He allowed 11 goals in games two through four and was pulled twice in those games, right? So, he, I mean, clearly he wasn't even finishing the games. Since game five, so five, six, seven, and game one of this series, not including game two, uh, Jones has a 943 save percentage and a 187 goals against. Yeah. Nine goals allowed in games five, six, seven, and game one of the of round two so i i don't i don't know that martin jones could look back and say here's what happened um i think a lot of it has to do with the team encountering a wake-up call facing elimination and we've had this debate on our tv shows i have a podcast we talk about it a lot youtube channel is it team defense is it subpar goaltending if you look at dell and jones's stats this season yeah they're way lower than the bar that these gentlemen have previously set so are you telling me that they both had bad career years the same year? That tells me what, what I'm reading into it is that the team defense wasn't always sound. They left these guys hung out to dry a little bit. And I think what you saw in five, six, seven, and even in round one, uh, round two, game one, the Avs weren't getting a, a ton of um, odd man rushes. They weren't mm-hmm. getting net front chances unmarked. Um, it's just amazing what tightening up the defense will do for Martin Jones. I still see that. And to your point, I think we can all agree that I don't think Martin Jones is off his good streak. I still think he's on it, tonight's loss included. So here's my question for you then, is that we saw maybe fatigue play a factor, especially in the second period where Colorado was able to take advantage of the Sharks looking a little tired. Logan Couture didn't want to say that they were fatigued, but he said we looked tired at times tonight. Does this mean that the Sharks in Game 3 have to sit back a little bit more, kind of commit to holding back, or does that take 
too much away from what they can do offensively because you do have particularly Carlson and Burns and what they can do on the offensive end of things. Because yeah. like you alluded to, you do see a little bit of that riverboat gambling from Burns from time to time. And that's, sure. you know, maybe it's more than time to time, but that's a, it's a give and take with what the Sharks do. You are going to have Burns come forward. You're going to have Carlson come forward. And you do leave yourself open to the odd man rush, and maybe you put Jones in some bad situations. But how much of a factor is fatigue going forward? What does DeBoer think about how he wants to have his defensemen situate and how he wants to absorb particularly the speed of Colorado, which I thought was particularly evident in the second period? So I don't think you can wholesale strategy change at this point, you're, you're, you also are throwing in the element of altitude that the Sharks players are, let's face it, not typically accustomed to. And they're they're going to have to have short shifts, especially at the start of, of Game 3. But I will say, when they were buzzing tonight in the first 20 minutes, they were changing like every 25 seconds yeah. on the dot. So it was a lot of quick changes. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But you understand my point. Like That's the kind of game they're trying to play regardless. Short shifts. Um, be simple. Be quick. Um, so... I don't think they're going to have a totally different mentality of, of trying to take chances or not. Um, offense, offense to me hasn't been an issue with San Jose. And even tonight, I mean, look at, yeah, Burns' goal, his second one came with 10 seconds left. <laughs> so that's not typically a uh, deciding portion of the game when it was two goals. Now it's cut down to one goal. Um, but but the whole thing here is that offense has generally not been a factor for the Sharks. I don't I don't see them trying to, to change too much. I will say the one thing that does scare me moving forward is is the Avs power play. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sharks had a great kill to start off the third period tonight when Vlasic was in there for almost a minute and 20 seconds. Um, being disciplined in, in Denver is going to greatly help them. Because if you put that Avs power play on the ice, they, I think they had the fourth most power play goals this regular season. They also had the most power play opportunities of any team in the league. Uh, this season so and you saw the way that they just I mean it's tic-tac-toe passing opportunity after opportunity Mm -hmm. so I I think yeah discipline and also puck possession Uh, tonight's game when the Sharks like I was talking about short shifts but the reason that the Sharks could get so many changes they had the puck so control the puck and I think a lot's going to go your way the one thing that I think is interesting to talk about with fatigue is that yeah you have Colorado with more rest I don't know how much that fatigue factor is going to make a difference heading into game number three because now you're two games into a series. That rest that Colorado had, yeah. that's a long time ago. But well, like they, they, did they have rest or a, did they have rest or rust? Like that's, that's it, the other. Part. We're also trying to figure out too as we get into game two of this series. Okay, how much was game one the Avs just not playing in a week's time? So I think we learned tonight they were much better through most of the game through 40 of 60 tonight. Um, and maybe you can attribute a lot of game one to the fact that they hadn't played in a week. Mm-hmm. And the Sharks, yeah, they were coming off emotion city of game seven. <laughs> but still, there is something to be said about, about currency, you know? It, well, it's, it's interesting that you look now what this series is going, to tur- is going to turn into. I don't know that I can specifically predict it because the first two games played flip-flop of what I was expecting. Yeah, right, And right. now you go back to like you talked about the altitude and... Uh, you know, obviously, Brody, you and I are not professional athletes. People Speak may for yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I've got the body of one. Well, you know, you do. You look great tonight. <laughs> I won't. I won't lie with that. Um, but have you ever 
gone to altitude and tried to exercise. Yeah, yeah. It's a hell of a thing. Hiking, man. hiking in the Rocky Mountains, uh, north and south of the border. And I got to tell you, when you start, you're already starting at, at the base of the mountain at a pretty high elevation and you get a couple thousand more feet up there. Uh, everything starts to function differently. Yeah. You know, a little lightheadedness. Uh, now, look, all these Sharks players have played before in Denver. I have to go back and maybe we should do this for TV and just see how many games played everybody has up there. But this is nothing new. It's just one of those things that, you know, the Sharks haven't played up there since, what, February at that high of an altitude. So it, I think it, if it is a factor, only for the first, you know, and if, if the Sharks play it well and play it correctly, it could only be a factor early and shouldn't be later. Certainly shouldn't be a factor in game four. Yeah. Again, we've got Brody Brazil here on Morning Tide. Now, Brody, while I've got you, I've got to ask you about Game 7 because you and I haven't had a chance to reflect on that yeah. together. And you're like me, man. You've seen a lot of big moments in Bay Area sports. You've been at a lot of those events. You ever seen anything like that before, man? I mean, the I, I was trying to go through my head of great Bay Area <laughs> postseason moments. Yeah. Um, I'm 36, and I think you're about the same age as me. So 38, we have, Okay, yep. we have a yep. lot of the same reference points. Right. I was going back to, you think about what Madison Bumgarner did in 2014, mm-hmm. in particular for the Giants, specifically the Game 7, but what he did that entire postseason, it's one of those magic moments. Um, you think about the 49ers, either the redemption reception to T.O., or their big comeback against the Giants yep. in January 2003. You think about the Raiders and the the tuck rule play. That's oh, one of those. I don't think about that I, too I know, much. but I'm just, you know I'm bringing <laughs> I'm bringing a full circle here. But in terms of what so, you know, two guys like us, mid 30s, yeah. what we've seen in our lifetimes, that's about at the top of them in terms of Bay Area postseason history excluding maybe, you know, a championship win. You want to talk about the Warriors or sure. the Giants or the 49ers or whatever. But in terms of a postseason moment, this might take the cake. Ted, you you excluded the 1989 A's World Series sweep over well, the Giants. I was at Game 3, Brody. And you well. also mentioned this Madison Bumgarner guy or what, something <laughs> he did in 2014. I, I don't I don't even know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I was checked out of baseball season uh, by that point. No, but but to your point, you're right. And And – we get to be there for some of them. Obviously, this was one where I was here at the rink, and it just it, it gave me goosebumps yeah. all night. Uh, and and the hard part is you start to realize all the small intricacies of what you just witnessed, like during the postgame show. It, it doesn't sink in. It all happened so <laughs> fast. Four goals in four minutes, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying there was almost zero time to like digest it. Um, our postgame show that night, uh, first off, it the game left me speechless, literally. Literally, yes. <laughs> I had to miss game one. <laughs> uh, I don't know, allergies, laryngitis, whatever. Seto got me sick. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but the point is, is like I, it, it just it was magical. Our show was almost like um, messy drunk, right? You know, where everybody was just so high. I, I literally woke up the next morning feeling hungover. And a lot of people had that sentiment on social media. They were like, all I had was water. And it was just, it goes to show you all the chemicals in your body that react when you are there to witness something like that. And that horn, you know, I was, I was downstairs here in the building, that horn going off and off and off yeah. over and over. Not to mention, you know, I was just on social media putting together just a screen grab of that one shot to me of, of Joe Thornton with the towel on the back of Pavelski's head and the look on Jumbo's eyes of concern, of love, of anger, uh, to see Pavel, um, 
uh, Kane and Burns behind number eight, looking at each other. I mean, it's it's almost like a it's an iconic photo. You hate the situation, mm-hmm. and we don't know how these playoffs are going to turn out for the Sharks. I would love to go back to that photo and say, "Oh my goodness, I wish I would have known how big this was all going to turn out to be based on that moment." So, uh, it's a, it's a goosebumps moment. Um, I think we should all do ourselves the favor of documenting it either on on video or audio recording so that we can relive this because it was an instant classic and uh like i said hard because you don't get a lot of time to process it you got to move on to round two real fast but man oh man that was special yeah i mean for me that the my take is that's the the high from a game that i'm going to be chasing for the rest of my life i don't oh yeah i don't i mean i honestly can't say that i'll ever see anything like that again because it was so out of the realm of what is normal in sports. I mean, that's not just a comeback. That's something that's happened one other time before. Four goals in four minutes on a five-minute major. Well, and you could also say, too, think about the history of this building, SAP Center. Yeah, the Sharks have advanced to a Stanley Cup final. Mm -hmm. They've played a Stanley Cup final game here, and they had a little bit of success against the Penguins. I don't but like to talk about that. I, I'm sorry. Now I, now I screwed you up. But the point being is that, like, tell me, tell me a bigger game, a bigger win than what they did there because that was, if they lose, they just fought off elimination twice for nothing. Mm-hmm. And they lose their captain for nothing. And it's it just the response, the immediacy. And how about this one? Kevin LeBanc, all season long. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. About the midway point, he started responding to some interviews saying that Pete DeBoer had talked to him and said, you know, we really, what we really want to get you to do, Banker, is be a player that we can trust in a hypothetical Game 7 situation against Las Vegas. That was Pete DeBoer making this up in February. (laughs) Sure enough, Kevin LeBanc gets a goal and three assists. He's part of all four of that comeback in Game 7. I mean, and that's one of those things where I put those pieces together afterwards. In the moment, you kind of forget about that because you're screaming your head off. But it's just, there were so many storylines. And and for Martin Jones to be a GOAT in that series to turn yeah. into the GOAT, as in G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. <laughs> Just, I mean, there's, it's, it is not only a chapter of Sharks history, it's one of the top, top chapters of Sharks history. And I, and I hope it's not completed yet. Brody, fantastic as always, my friend. I love that we get to do this yeah. now consistently. And I hope that we have a chance to, like I said, beat to death the joke of us talking after game two losses <laughs> for two more series. Sound good? <laughs> I will be there. In fact, I will almost just count on it. You don't even have to text me anymore. I'll just count on it for game twos. And, hey, if we lose to win the series, I'll be that guy. I'll take that hit. The wingman that you never knew you needed, Brody Brazil. (laughs) All right, great stuff there with Double B's Brody Brazil. Now, let's get into some of that post-game sound. Let's start off with the fact that these Sharks knew they should have been up by more. Let's start with Logan Couture. Should have been up two or three after the first. We had too many good looks to not score a second one and um, give ourselves a bigger bigger lead. Um, and then they uh, they found their, their game in the second and played around. Yeah, and we got a similar reaction here from Evander Kane. I'll tell you what, these guys are owning it. I think we just got to put them away earlier. We had some chances to uh, extend a lead and didn't do that early. And here's head coach of the Sharks, Pete DeBoer, on the team's inability to give themselves some distance early when they had the lead. Yeah, I loved our first period. Um, Yeah, I think uh, you have to give them credit for pushing back in the second. I also think, you know, I thought their goalie made a couple big saves so that where we didn't extend the lead. I thought we had some opportunities to make it two. 
which would have been a difference. A couple power plays to make it two, which would have made a difference. And, um, you know, so I thought they got some saves at the right time to, to let them hang around. And then, you know, the first one's a seeing eye tip and, uh, you know, second one kind of a, kind of the same thing. So it was just one of those nights I thought, uh, you know, we pushed early. They pushed back in the second. Third was, was pretty even. So no one seems particularly devastated by this loss. No one overly emotional. Everyone seems to realize they missed an opportunity to take a 2-0 series lead, but they are not panicking, which I think is fine. I really don't think overreacting is going to help anyone here, nor do I expect fatigue to continue to come up, which was a talking point after tonight's game. I mean, I didn't think so, but we looked tired for uh, for periods of that game. They, they skated around us for for shifts, and um, we looked slow. We looked slow defending. Uh, you know, lines were getting caught out there for long times, and um, they were having their way in, in the offensive zone. That's Logan Couture. Here's Evander Kane. Nope. Uh... I don't think so. I think uh, we came out. We had a good start. Um, you know, we had some opportunities. Like I said, we, we didn't uh, capitalize on and, and extend the lead. And you know, you let a team like that hang around. Um, you know, you saw they had a couple. You know, just kind of uh, some shots they got through, and um, unfortunately, they went in. Eric Carlson, who, by the way, looked really, really good tonight from just a purely physical standpoint, can be added to the list of guys not freaking out after a Game 2 loss. I think that we, we played well. Uh, we did a lot of good things out there. Uh, we just couldn't find a way to score goals. and Got a little frustrated as the game went along and started doing our own thing a little too much. And We know that that doesn't work in here. and uh, you know We should have learned by now, but we didn't. And they capitalized on the chances they got and uh, you know made us play from behind. And uh, you know We just quite couldn't uh, catch up at the end. This was a stepping stone for us. we got to learn from this, and we know what we have to do to be successful out there. Uh, unfortunately, today we just couldn't stick with it for 60 minutes. And, and you know, they, again, uh, the few chances that they got, you know, they, uh, they got the bounces and they got the calls, and, uh, you know, they made us pay for it. Here's Brent Burns looking ahead to game number three in Colorado on Tuesday. I mean, they're, they're a good team. They're going to push back. Uh, we knew that. You lose, so not very good. But it's, it's, uh, this time of the year you just got to forget about that one and you move on to the next one win or lose and uh you do the same thing so you just you head there and gotta get uh gotta get a win as for mark edward vlasic it does not sound like he was too happy about the icing call or lack thereof that led to the second goal absolutely i'll wait for you know i'll take the high road and wait for the league's apology tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) i'm taking the high road waiting for the apology tomorrow and Vlasic also echoed the sentiments of his teammates on missed opportunities for the San Jose Sharks in the early goings. Yeah, we couldn't. Uh, we had one nothing lead. I thought we should have should have not ended it, but put up, poured it on and got the second and third one, and then they would have been done, and we, we kept them in it. And finally, head coach of the Avs, Jared Bednar, on what changed from the first period to the second and third. Yeah, I think the biggest thing... For me, we played hard in the first period. They came at us and, and um, we competed hard in battles, but we didn't. We, we weren't great with the puck. We, we, we didn't. We didn't execute. You know, we were we were doing a decent job of getting out of our zone, but then through the neutral zone, we got stubborn with it. And they did a nice job in their neutral zone forecheck and getting above uh checks and and then we tried to pick our way through a couple times and we were we just weren't firm enough with the pocket we didn't put pucks in behind their defense and go to work so you start turning four five six seven pucks over in the neutral zone 
you know, part of that's their doing, but part of that's on us too. We got to be more firm and get pucks below their goal line and, and get on get on the forecheck. We didn't do that. In the second period, that changed. I, I, I'm going to say we only had a couple turnovers through the neutral zone, and and we were skating and and starting to you know get up on the forecheck and get into people a little bit more physical. And then we started to have more success because we spent more time in the offensive zone. So that's the biggest thing for me. So after two games, we are level at one game apiece, and that's Stanley Cup playoff hockey. Now we just hope the Sharks can go into Colorado and get at least one. I think they will, but if they don't, guess what? We and they have been there before. Again, you've been listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. New episodes drop every morning after San Jose Sharks playoff games. I'm your host, Ted Ramey, and we'll talk Wednesday morning. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yend. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital Digital platforms. platforms.